This podcast is not intended as a substitute for professional help. If you or someone you know is facing difficulties, I advise you consult a psychologist. Hi everyone and welcome to episode 22 of Psych for Life with Dr Amanda Ferguson. I'm your host, Dr Amanda Ferguson. In today's episode, we'll be discussing school bullying and why it can set up a path of lifelong destruction if not resolved properly. Today, it's my great pleasure to introduce Evelyn M. Field, OAM. Evelyn is a psychologist, professional speaker, best-selling author and regular media commentator. She's an international authority on treating school and workplace bullying. Evelyn has spent over 40 years helping students and adults develop social survival skills and manage school and workplace bullying. Her passion was recognised in the Australian Queen's Birthday Honours in June 2014 for service to the community, particularly through anti-school and workplace bullying initiatives. Evelyn has been published in seminal works in academic journals on bullying. She's trained psychologists in how to help clients in bullying. Evelyn recently presented Harry, the Bully Blocker, a tool for treating bullied clients to the Human-Animal Interaction section of the American Psychological Association. While today we're discussing school bullying, next time we'll be discussing work bullying, which is also Evelyn's expertise. Harry, the Bully Blocker, the book and audio book, are already on Amazon, Audible and Booktopia. And Evelyn, I understand that you're writing another edition for parents and teachers and therapists. Yes, it's a very special little book for me, Amanda. It took over eight years to publish and like any other author, I did the runaround looking for publishers and because of COVID, things became rather tough and in the end, I thought, I'm going to self-publish. So fortunately, I had the editor of Bully Blocking from 2007, and together we've come up with this gorgeous little book. It's now in uh, audio form with fusion music, Asian and Western music, and it's almost like plashing three strands of hair together. You know, one strand is the little book, the story about Harry, who was a real little papillon, and many of the things in the book, real, and what he really did. So it, it's true to Harry. Obviously, there's some other characters in the book that I've taken poetic license. The second part is that it's followed the training I used to give psychologists and in my work with kids who are being bullied so that it's evidence-based and it's a matter of getting the recipe so that anybody could follow it. And then the third part of that plashing process, I guess, is to make it simple, easy to read, hopefully easy to translate. And the poetry itself has a rhyme to it and a rhythm that is easy to remember. And we want children to be able to take the book home or read it in class, whatever, and hear the rhyme in their head because we know rhyming and storytelling is very therapeutic. The same thing, of course, with music. So here is a very small little therapy poem, but it is therapy in a nutshell and you don't need Evelyn Field, the psychologist or somebody else. You can sit down as as a parent or grandparent or older brother or sister or teacher and just say, let's go through this, let's discuss the questions at the back and Let's see how you can learn how not to be a target anymore and to empower yourself and then move on to make friends. 
Yes, what a wonderful tool. And I understand you're writing another edition for teachers, parents and therapists. Yeah, so Bully Busting came out in 1999. And of course, at that stage, publishers were saying, well, my kid doesn't get bullied at school. And you can imagine those very early days. Then I redid that in 2007 then wrote two books on workplace bullying and now I'm looking at the 2007 version and saying this is totally out of date this is missing it and so the field has really changed so I'm finding a number of things and not much of them are good quite frankly number one Ken Rigby talked about rates of bullying being one in six maybe one in five what difference is pretty bad anyway. The second thing was that we had great hopes that schools would embrace the wonderful school bullying programs we have here in Australia or in America or anywhere else and that that would reduce bullying. Well, the current figures, about probably 17 to 20% of school bullying programs are successful. That is, four-fifths fail. Now, that's not due to the programs themselves. They're very good. But schools don't have the time, the commitment, the resources, the whatever it is to instigate them. Absolutely. So where we have seen schools implement new strategies, wear your mask, wash your hands, socially distance within a very short period of time, for some due to COVID, for some reason they haven't been able to do it about school bullying. I presume because they don't take it seriously. Maybe. And even more reason why your resources are so important. And they can be found also on your website, which is www.bullying.com.au. So now, if I could go on, Amanda, to the next thing that is a standout with this new book, and that's the whole issue of why is bullying bad? I mean, let's face it. We hear of horrible things when we listen to the news today. And whether it's floods or wars or domestic violence or sexual abuse, these are horrific behaviours. And so a kid turns around and somebody and says, somebody called me fat and an idiot and nobody likes you and go away. Hello, that's not so bad. Or maybe it is. So this is an area that we've been learning a lot more about in the last few years. I gave a paper in 2016 for the Australian Childhood Foundation and the APS, Australian Psychological Society, on what I called school bullying trauma, based on my work with workplace bullying uh, trauma. And now we have very clear evidence coming through from Norway, from Thormo Itso, that bullying can cause a PTSD, a trauma. Now, what does that mean? Yes, I, I looked into that research. Lovely. So what we've got is here is the fact that it's not about the behaviours. It's about the impact, the experience on that young person being bullied. And what bullying is about, it's about you are no good and we don't want you and get out of here. In other words, humiliation and ostracism. And that threatens our social survival. And there are some wonderful writers such as Matthew Lieberman Human beings need to belong. We are social beings. Part of our brain could be called a social brain. And when we are excluded or humiliated, it is life-threatening. So what we've got is we've got a threat to our existence as a human being or social being, and that can be followed by anxiety, 
symptoms, depression and stomach problems and headache problems, concentration problems and all the other things that happen when our brain is suffering some sort of injury. But the follow-on from that is that there are genetic changes. So that the genetic constitution of a five-year-old or an 11-year-old who was bullied is different. And they've seen this in, in twin studies. So if the bullied twin are the same at five, identical twins, and you look at them at 11, the bullied twin is going to have a different genetic structure. So, I mean, this is no surprise, is that trauma changes the brain. Yes, we've known that for long. The third major issue is that bully is not taken seriously. It's not mentioned in the DSM-5, school bullying. We talk about peer discord. The ICD does talk a bit about bullying, but not in great depth. So bullying changes the brain. Bullying creates brain damage. And is this why you're so interested in bullying? Look, I was bullied as a kid at school, and I was fortunate to then actually send my kids to the same school. And then I got the, the job as their first school psychologist. Wow. So I would walk around the very spots. I mean, obviously, they did a lot more building in the meantime where I'd been bullied. And I was helping kids and thinking about that. Though my major is, interest has always been social skills, how we can move children from being shy to be more extroverted. And I worked in a Jewish day school and they certainly have very good social skills. I mean, the the social skills of Jewish children is amazing. And we can learn a lot from that. And the study on shy children backs this up, that he's studied children in Japan, children in America, children in Israel, and their social skills are different. So if you look at them along a continuum, you can move them along. But one part of the social skills was dealing with school bullying. And so in working at the school, I started working in that area and found that it's very, very easy to treat a child who's being bullied. It's unbelievably easy. Why is that? Well, because it's the theory I'm using. So maybe I'll go on to our fourth point, which is another thing that is constantly bewildering and devastating me. And that is because school bullying is so common, why aren't there many evidence-based therapies for treating kids? Exactly. And so, I mean, we could say, well, we've been relying on the schools. We could say it's expensive to see a psychologist. We could say they'll grow out of it. I mean, there's a million excuses we could find. But at the end of the day, there still should be some good evidence-based theories. So I have been looking around for this. And for some reason, I find it very hard. But I know there are some people in America, Izzy Coleman, Brooke Gibbs, who talk about using the golden rule. My friend Daniel Matthews in USA talks about working with parents and empathy and engagement and empowerment, all of that stuff. Uh, There are a few others who run programs, but there's very little. So I wrote to Thormo Idso and said, oh, you know, maybe it's me. I can't find any evidence-based therapies. What have you found? And he said, I agree with you. It's a sad situation. So I actually wrote a few weeks ago to the bullying organization and they sponsor conferences on school bullying and said the same question. And they said, no, we don't know of any therapies. So here is another amazing thing that if a child is not being helped by the school and their parents don't know how to help them, which we understand, where can the child get help? And there's very little evidence base. So I don't know how I got into the theory behind Harry and the theory that I've been using. And we can call it a bully blocking theory. 
or therapy. But when bully busting came out, Pam Carroll from South Australia asked if she could use the book for her clinical PhD. And I I said yes. And she found that within a few short sessions working with children at the Royal Children's Hospital in Adelaide with craniofacial disorders, that is children with genuine issues, that it worked very quickly. And it was the only thing that worked for her. Brilliant. So what is it all about? Quite a few years ago, I went with my sister to Canada and we went, we did the train and we did the boats and the usual stuff. And near Vancouver, there's a fish hatchery. We went to have a look at the fish hatchery and at lunchtime went to have our picnic lunch from the tour company. And there was a young teenager minding our food. So to start a conversation, I asked him what you do about school bullying in Canada. And I knew because we'd had some wonderful conferences in Australia on school bullying and we'd had some of the Canadian experts like Bill Belsey out. And so I said to the young lad, what do you do if a kid says, help, I'm being bullied? And he said, oh, we tell them to, you know, do nothing, walk away or tell the bully to stop. And I said, thank you very much. Now, because we had just been somewhere else in Canada and gone into, you know, the country regions, we were given strict instructions on how to deal with a bear, if you see the bear. In other words, you stand still, you put your hands up and you make a noise and anyone can Google this. You certainly do not run. Now, there is no guarantee if you stand still, put up your hands and make a reasonable noise or talk or chat or sing or whatever, that you won't be attacked. But if you do run, you will be breakfast, lunch or dinner. In other words, the moment you show your fear by running away or you look paralyzed or you try to attack, the bear is going to protect itself and get in first. This is the same with a dog, with a horse and most other animals. The moment you control your fear, in other words, using your smart brain, then you don't threaten the animal who's more likely to, let's say, hopefully not attack you. Yes, and to use that smart brain, you have to have already been trained to do that before the bear is there or the bully is there. So Yep. This is important that we teach kids this. Absolutely. So the issue is, is that uh, the advice given by well-meaning adults is useless. You know, do nothing means stay paralysed, walk away, show your fear, or tell the bully to stop, show your anger. It's not going to work with any animal. So what should a child do? Well, I think it's about saying to a child, the bully has their own issues. The bully's feeling vulnerable. Maybe you said or did something that made him jealous or threatened the bully. But it's none of the bully's business, what you feel inside. And you have to change how you react to the bully. Because at the end of the day, you're getting two sensitive people rubbing up against one another. The bully comes from a vulnerable family and so does the target. Sorry to say. The target meaning the one being bullied. Yes, because maybe they've been overprotected. Maybe they're an only child. Maybe it's just mum and the child or dad in the child. Maybe they've moved around a lot and they haven't developed social skills. But for whatever reason, they're feeling insecure inside. And of course, the bully smells it. So if someone says, hey, Evelyn, you're fat, I might react because I'm always thinking I'm fat. But if Evelyn's, if someone said, Evelyn, you're too skinny, I would laugh. <laughs> You know, because the bully knows your vulnerability. It doesn't matter whether you're fat or skinny, tall or short, rich or poor, clever or dumb, gay or straight, a girl or a boy from Iran, from Israel, from Africa. It doesn't matter. 
It's your reaction the bully needs to fight back. Yes, and I I read that that's often unconscious in the bully, that they don't even realise often consciously that they're bullying. Absolutely right. And that's why so many definitions of bullying around the world are so wrong. Intent, they don't realise what they're doing. There are a few, you know, the sociopaths, the psychopaths, the serial bullies. They enjoy bullying someone and seeing their vulnerability. But most of us wouldn't have a clue when we're doing it. And do you think when kids are bullying, it's often because they're being bullied themselves at home, if they're bullying at school? Yeah, something's going on at home. This is what the research is saying. The research is saying that if you provide a warm, supportive, caring, attached environment where you can go home to particularly mummy and chat and she's there and she's available, she may not be able to do anything, but she, you know she's there for you and it's usually mum that's more important here. You're more likely to feel good about yourself and not worried if you're called fat or dumb or stupid. And so that's from the target's point of view, but from the bully's point of view, if, again, if they're probably being neglected and not securely attached, then they're going to take out their anger and frustration at school. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, so often when I was a school-based psychologist, you'd meet the parents of a bully and you could say, aha, because you see the bullying going on, whether it's mother to father or father to mother, the siblings to parents or parents to siblings, parents to the child. That's what they see at home. They're feeling vulnerable. And you know what the saddest thing, Amanda, is, apart from the damage they do to the kids, is... I write on a site called Cora. I don't know if you've seen it. And the number of bullies that write, how can I repair the damage I did so many years ago? The guilt is incredible. Interesting. They know they've done wrong. So the destruction, the lifelong destruction of bullying cuts both ways. It can be... The research shows, I mean, we know there are many long-term effects of school bullying on the target, but likewise on the bully. And their records for violence, and I can't remember the exact statistics, but they're more likely to have job difficulties, bash their wives, abuse their kids, go on to drugs, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And, of course, have health problems because their self-esteem is low. They don't know how to look after themselves. They don't know how to get on with people. And I would imagine have a reduced social network. So bullies suffer big time. Interesting. So you have target suffering and the bully suffering. Yes. And I saw that you use the uh, definition when, you know, we're talking about bullying of what that is provided in your state of Victoria in Australia by the Department of Education that bullying is an ongoing and deliberate misuse or abuse of power in relationships through repeated verbal, physical and or social behaviour that intends to cause, and as we just saying, maybe unconsciously intends to cause physical, social and or psychological harm that can involve an individual or a group misusing their power or perceived power over one or more people who feel unable to stop it from happening, that bullying can happen in person or online via digital platforms and devices, and it can be obvious or it can be hidden that bullying is a repeated behaviour, that it has the potential to be repeated over time, for example, through sharing of digital records, that bullying of any form for any reason can have immediate, medium and long-term effects, as you've mentioned, on those involved, and including bystanders, which I hadn't considered. Mm. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah. Yes, because whether it's at home or, sorry, whether it's at school or at work, if you're watching something happening, you feel very distressed and very powerless. Yes. And we're not good in Australia or America in talking about school bullying, but over lockdown, I binged on Korean drama, which is <laughs> unbelievably amazing. But they've had some very high-profile actors in Korean dramas clearly demonstrating how the bystander is affected and, of course, the impact on the target and the bullying on the, uh, and the bully, yes. Let me say this, though, Amanda, that bullying can occur once, particularly if it goes online. Right. And it may have happened once, but it might be in the target's mind and they just ruminate and ruminate yes. as if it's yeah. happening again and again. And yeah. I don't think most bullies know what they're doing. I don't think they mean to destroy somebody's life. I don't think so. It makes it even sadder in some ways, mm-hmm. isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Most people would be horrified to know that some of their behaviours are considered bullying. And yet bullying can be physical, which is hurting someone, damaging or stealing possessions. It can be spitting, pushing, tripping, making mean or rude gestures, as you said, name-calling as well. It can be verbal, teasing, saying those mean things that you mentioned. It can be threatening, taunting or inappropriate sexual comments. It can be social, so pointedly excluding someone, telling people not to be friends with them. It can damage a person's reputation. It can be spreading rumours. As you said, it can be cyberbullying over digital devices. It can be sending or sharing destructive or false or mean information, causing embarrassment, humiliation. But what I was really interested is, is you say that verbal is the most common and most painful and the most long-lasting. Why is that? Well, it's a really good question, Amanda. I think because it replicates the way we talk to ourselves. Because I always say bullies are very lazy and they are looking for a well-worn path. Yeah. So if you keep saying, Evelyn, you're stupid, you're fat, you're dumb, and the bully repeats it, I'm hearing something again and again. Mm. It doesn't work the same way with physical cyber or the exclusion. I'm not hearing it in my head as much. It's when people say something that it gets to me. And the other funny thing is, and I can't explain it because I had this debate with Rex Finch many years ago, I think the verbal bullying comes first, then the other bullies, such as physical. And you hit back or you exclude, whatever the case may be. So we need to have something to say, this is my stand on it, I think you're fat or dumb or stupid. And for the target to feel, oh my gosh, you know, they put me down, how dare they, I'm going to do something back, then leading on to that physical attack. And I think you'll find that many physical attacks are preceded by a verbal exchange. It may be short or long, but then people are so frustrated because the other person is pushing back. So that's the interesting thing, is how do we block bullies? And we don't give away our power. We don't fight back. We don't express our anger or our fear Mm. directly. Yes. We turn that around and we're neutral. It's a bit like saying speak to the hand. That's right. So in this delightful little storybook I've got about Harry, I had two papillons who used to work in the office with me. I mean, they weren't trained as therapy dogs like dogs are trained these days, but they're pretty good. 
And Harry, Buffy would walk into the room earlier because she was a, an older, bigger dog. I mean, probably a kilo bigger. They're both very small dogs, Papillons. And then Harry would walk in and she'd try and say, well, go over there, you know, move over there. He would just turn around and say, well, just talk to my bushy tail. Oh. Yeah, we've got a line in the book a bit like that. I can find it for you later. It's about saying, I'm not getting involved. Yes. In another way, it's like saying, well, do you want to play tennis? What do you need? You need a tennis court, you need a tennis net, you need two tennis rackets and a tennis ball. The moment you get onto the court, uh, cricket bat, it's not tennis. Yeah. Who said you had to play uh, the bullies game the way they want to play it? And as you said, um, our own feelings when we're being bullied are our sensitivity and our private feelings and best kept to ourselves. And I was so fascinated to hear and, and read along the same lines as what you were saying earlier, that bullying can actually happen to anyone and there's no single risk that presents itself for us to become a target. And the bully may not even be bigger or stronger than the target. Do you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. And so you have one of the most famous, I think, beautiful, lovely women in the world is Princess Catherine. Yes. Kate. She went to Year 7 in some private school in the UK and she was bullied badly. And so by Term 2, her parents moved her to another private school. Hopefully someone, one of a better, uh, what do you call it, a better standing or status. And when she and William got married, she made sure that some of the money that was given to them as part of their wedding presents was donated to a bullying, school bullying organisation. So when she got married to the future King of England around the age of 30, she had not forgotten what it was like to be in year seven at school and being bullied. And yet you cannot say this is a vulnerable kid. Yeah. Really. She was beautiful, intelligent, sporty, you name it. Maybe a little sensitive. Maybe there are reasons why. No. We don't know why. Um, but yes, anybody can be bullied. Anyone. And I mean, we've seen this now when you have some of the high profile politicians and CEOs being bullied for doing the, something that may not have been acceptable. If a man would have been doing it, totally different situation. I think we can all be bullied. And unfortunately, I think most of us can actually do some bullying too. Interesting. And I also see that school bullying can occur not just in the school, but in transit between school and home, at local shopping places, sporting places, parks, parties, as we've said, in cyberspace. And it occurs in all schools, private, public, single sex, co-ed, and that, in fact, most of school bullying happens in the places most meant to be safe, the school buildings. Yes, I think this is a very interesting point because there are many principals who say, oh, no, it happened online or it happened at the local shopping centre. That's got nothing to do with us. And I think that what we found over lockdown and these are American figures, but I can't see why it should be any different here, is that the amount of cyberbullying reduced. Why? Right. Because nobody in San Francisco wants to bully someone in New York that they don't know. Uh -huh. They only want to bully someone with whom they've got a connection and with whom they can find out the reaction. Uh. So the connection is usually the school. Now, I know kids can get bullied at the football club or ballet or wherever, but the main bullying is somehow connected to the school, whether it's in school grounds, at school camp, online, the school websites or email settings or 
Facebook groups. But believe you me, why would anyone in Western Australia want to bully someone in Lane Cove who they didn't know is beyond me. Because they're not getting that reaction and that that's what they want. That's exactly. They are like an animal because we've all got animals inside of us in some way or another, that primitive instinct. Yeah. We want to see the anger or fear. We want to hurt someone. We want to feel better by putting somebody else down. So really, bullying happens within the school. And it's the same thing in the workplace. You know, I know people bully customers and clients, but they don't do it every day. It's the people you work with that can bully you. So it's work-related. The other thing that I found very hard, and I still find very hard, is it doesn't matter how wealthy your family is or how important they are. And it doesn't matter if you go to, in Melbourne, one of the top three private schools. I won't name them. And I'm sure they're the same around Australia. The horrible physical and verbal bullying you can get is incredible. Yeah. I mean, I was speaking to a grandmother not so long ago and she was telling me what her grandson went through at one of these top three schools and I thought, I can't believe it. And of course, I spoke in Shanghai last year, oh, unfortunately from my office, not there, to the Yuchang schools, which is about over 20 private schools there. And school bullying is really high. And I, I think that's affected by the high expectations parents have of their children mm. and children feeling more vulnerable if they're not meeting their parents' high expectations. Yeah. Yes. So it's everywhere. That's simple to say. Oh, look, it's, it is really tragic. And you've said to me when we had a chat earlier that it's actually increased since you've been working in the field and that that's very obviously disappointing to you. Well, yes, because I would have thought, like everybody else, that what I'm doing in my office working with the individual target or training psychologists to deal with the individual target would be a sideline issue and that the schools have a legal and ethical responsibility to create collaborative cultures where people respect one another, people work out their differences, and it goes from the top down. That everyone feels safe within a school, parents, teachers and students, and are able to resolve differences in a reasonable manner. But this has clearly not happened. The rate of school bullying for staff is very, very high, and for kids it's very high. So it's failed. And so I think we have to look at other ways to help kids when their schools are not able to help them. And to me, that means teaching them these bully blocking skills, how to stand neutral, how to look in a neutral way, how to respond. If kids are being mean, that is, they're excluding you, or maybe talk to someone to get feedback. Maybe the child's doing something inappropriate. Maybe they're trying to join a group that they don't fit in with socially. And you often see that happening. Kids think, oh, I want to be part of the popular group. Yeah even though they don't fit the criteria for the popular group. And one can learn the criteria, but many kids think they should accept me as I am. Even if I look like a, a nerd or a dag, the popular kids should like me. Well, of course they won't. And uh, with the physical bullying, it's about not allowing it to escalate. Yes. If you can, to avoid situations, hopefully the bystanders will do more when there's physical bullying because usually there is a crowd around. And with the cyberbullying, to know how to deal with that. And, you know, there's some wonderful speakers around Australia teaching schools how to deal with cyberbullying, but mainly to block it. And I think this is a situation where parents must see what their kids are doing online from time to time. Oh, definitely. And, you know, interesting, as you mentioned, that we are part of the animal kingdom and that bullying symbolises this 
personal humiliation and ostracism from our tribe. It threatens our survival instinct. It forces us into survival mode. And Campbell's 2004 research revealed that the primary fear that it brings up is a negative social problem. Williams in 2011 said that humans need to belong, yet they're most commonly being left out by others and that animals abandon the weakest to ensure the survival of the fittest. So I guess if someone's perceived as weak, they'll be they'll be bullied, as you said, vulnerable, then more likely bullied, that it's a feeling of rejection, exclusion, that it can be endured for a long time. And Eisenberger in 2012 said it's the painful feelings associated with social disconnection and it does rely on the same neurobiological substrates that underlie experiences of physical pain. Lieberman in 2013 talked about social neuroscience revealing our need to connect with people is actually more basic than our need for food and shelter, which I was really surprised to read. Because he's turning Maslow upside down, isn't he? And isn't that the way it is today? And so that's the situation, that if you have a good support group, they will give you the food and shelter. Yeah. But you need the skills to connect with the support group and to be seen as a valuable member. Yep. So our need for food and shelter is obviously very important, but if we have a support group, that is far more important. And I think I think COVID is is highlighting this, that those of us who were fortunate enough in Victoria, in Melbourne particularly, to live within five kilometres of our support group, our friends, our family, mm. probably fared a lot better than those who lived far away from their children or friends or, you know, parents. And those who were able to pick up the phone and said, let's meet at the park for a coffee, a walk or whatever, or behind the shops for a coffee, definitely fared much better than those who are alone the whole time. I have some clients who saw nobody over lockdown. Wow. You know, and that's partly due to where they lived and partly due to having developed a social phobia from the bullying. Yes. So we know that mental health and physical health will deteriorate if you're not part of a supportive social network. Definitely. And as you said, it changes the brain, it changes the genes. So let's look a bit more at the research. Mm. And as you say, there's a lack of evidence-based research on bullying, which as psychologists we need because we are regarded as evidence-based science practitioners. But back in the early 70s, Dr. Dan Olvers, a research professor of psychology in Norway, was then pioneering, I guess, bullying research, and he's been researching since then on child and school bullying. And he, he actually said it's a human rights matter which gets back to your drive to make this more of a high-profile and socially recognised problem that needs a solution. He said it's a fundamental human right that we have school safety, and so he proposed a law back in the 90s that led to legislation against bullying in the Swedish and Norwegian parliaments. And in Australia, I think we've got something in the human rights legislation in state guidelines. I think it's in Federal Human Rights Commission that every child has the right to go to school in safety. Good. Mm. Yes, definitely we need to build on this. And I see that stats at the moment are reporting more than one in four or five children are bullied regularly at school. Yeah, it's very hard to know. UNESCO is saying one in three. But whatever it is, it's too hard. It's just... 
And some of them may be okay, some of them may not be. Research a few years ago, oh, no, that, no there might be this re recent research, that one in three of students who are bullied might have a PTSD. So that's one in nine kids who are bullied having a, a trauma. Yes, I saw some really strong associations with bullying and post-traumatic stress disorder, as you're saying, PTSD. D. Yeah, really strong. And that, that that actually is causing a deregulation of the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal system. So it's causing structural damage to the brain and these adrenals and hypothalamus and pituitary glands, brain studies showing immediate and later damage in these children. And as you mentioned, the Diagnostic Statistical Manual that we use called the DSM at its fifth edition at the moment, it doesn't include school bullying. PTSD, of course, is included in a new category on trauma and stress-related disorders. You mentioned also the ICD, which is the international code that we use that does now include bullying and intimidation and intimidation through social media either for a child or an adult and includes complex PTSD as a result of those behaviours. And the literature since these updates is focusing on proposing a new category called post-bullying disorder. And this is from looking at the DSM, which introduced a preschool sub-subtype for PTSD for children aged six years or younger, a criteria for adolescents and adults and children older than six years, for these diagnoses of PTSD, which are the person was exposed to death, threatened death, actual or threatened serious injury, or actual and threatened sexual violence. And as a kid, as you said, a five-year-old, that's not hard to be experiencing from a bully at school. If we really think it back to being a little kid and a little kid's brain can, can really feel death is imminent being bullied. Again, a, a 2019 article argues that there's no criteria to help clinicians diagnose post-bullying disorder. And it points out that there are two approaches that in the interpretation of bullying. And the first one is to consider bullying as one of the causes of post-traumatic stress disorder, which would make schools mm. take bullying more seriously and lead to further studies of preventative and therapeutic programs to reduce bullying. And the second approach argues bullying should not be categorised as the cause of PTSD, but rather a trauma-related stress. Which, which approach would you favour? Well, you see, it gets more complicated than that, Amanda, in that we have to divide not all traumas are the same. Yes. Uh, we know women and men experience trauma differently, but we know that traumas are experienced differently. Yep. So if, for example, you looked at someone who'd been in a car accident and three months in hospital, back home, everything's all right, well, you know, that was really traumatic, but provided they don't have any physical handicaps, yep. can build a reasonable life. On the other hand, someone who's experienced child sexual abuse or severe domestic violence or seen their parent killed in front of them, as I've just been reading in the news today, that's a totally different matter. Yeah. So we look at relational trauma or single incident trauma. And so to me, school bullying is about relational trauma. It usually occurs, as you said, over a period of time. And it's 
because it's so personal, it is it is so devastating. In fact, there is research, and I can't remember the name of the person, but I can chase it up if anyone's interested, who said that being, let's say, the victim of childhood sexual abuse or domestic violence or bullying, that the bullying actually is worse on the child wow. than the other two because of the fact that it's so public. So if you're being abused at home or witnessing abuse, you can go to school and switch off. But if you're being abused at school, in one way or another, it's 24-7, whether it's happening or it's in yeah. your mind, that is your feeling, but it's still happening. So, yes, there's some very interesting, well-supported research saying, yes, that that is worse. So bullying is public. It's about you're no good, get out yeah. of here. And it does... Uh, traumatize the young person and the other thing that I think we have to need to take we have to take into consideration is not only is it traumatic but it interferes with the natural developmental stages of a young yes. person's life particularly you know yes yes year five year six year seven year eight year nine when they're going from pre-puberty into puberty and then into the yeah. tweens and teens it interferes with that development of course and now we've got well what's happened with COVID we know a lot has happened when we look at our American you know peers but exactly how it will interfere the school bullying and COVID and the, with what should have been a normal developmental transition. We don't know yet, but we have to look out for that, yes. Yes, and let alone the educational fallout as well. Absolutely. Oh, that's yeah. That we know. Yeah. As you said, the bullies by adulthood have really got the scars from bullying, but I've seen, as you would too, adults with the scars of childhood and uh, school bullying, you know, very much still carrying the scars, still being bullied often themselves. or And it's a, a lifelong problem if it's not resolved right back then in the school. That, that's exactly right. And I think one researcher was saying that people think, well, I'm a target. And they set themselves up to keep being a target all the yes. way through, you yeah. know, and it's like, oh, it, it poured rain because I'm not good rather than it poured rain because that's the way the weather is today. Blaming themselves yes. all the time, setting themselves up to be victim rather than saying, I don't want to be treated like this. I want to be nice to other people. I want to have good values. I want to work together, but I want to be treated with respect. Yes, basic human right. Absolutely. And yet these CEOs think they can take over and tell everybody what it's all about and they haven't a clue. And that's the problem. That's why I think so many school bullying programs fail because people have their big parties and balls and say we're going to go into a school but these wannabes pr promise but don't do anything. So with, with uh, backflips against bullying, I think it's the first time I've actually worked directly and said that's not working, that's not working, that's wrong. And why not try a method that is based on our survival instinct? You don't show your fear to a bull bear and you don't show it to a bully. I mean, Brilliant. you can get more basic than that. So if we look at services and resources, many psychologists, including Evelyn Field, provide private consultations for children being bullied. Evelyn also provides research-based training and keynote addresses. In Australia, the website Bullying noway.gov.au provides information, advice, support and resources. People can go to Evelyn's website to purchase books. They're also on Amazon and audiobooks. And for help and safety, if you or your child 
is struggling with school bullying and the school is not able to solve this, a psychologist can help you. Seek someone who is professionally skilled at helping children and adolescents deal with bullying. To locate a psychologist in your area, call the Australian Psychological Society and locate Find a Psychologist Service on 1800 397 or visit www.findapsychologist.org.au. Your general practitioner can also organise a referral to a psychologist experienced in working with school bullying. I think that if a child is being bullied, if they're in a desperate state, go to your local hospital, call the CAC team. Right. But otherwise, go to your GP, ring the APS. To find out more about me, please visit my website, dramandaferguson.com.au. You can find the link in my show notes. The opinions expressed by guests in these podcasts aren't necessarily shared by me.